0: Each of the family members and friends is very appreciative of your attendance here today to give thanks with us for the life and the testimony of Mrs. Vera Manus, to express as you do your sympathy to the family and to assure them of your thoughts and prayers at this time. To Vera's family, her husband Stanley, daughter Stephanie and her husband Stephen, daughter Elian, her husband Alistair, Vera's brother Victor, sisters Avis and her husband Cecil, to the grandchildren, great-grandchildren as well, nephews and nieces and all the extended family, uh, we extend our deepest sympathy today and we assure you of our prayers. Please note from the order of service, you'll see it printed there, that tea will be available immediately after the service, and that will be in the Jubilee Hall through the doors here, or outside and round, but upstairs. And all of you are welcome to remain for tea. After that, a private interment will take place at Ballygowan Free Presbyterian Cemetery. We'll turn, please, to the order of service and to the opening prius, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast, beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. Let's stand together, please, as we sing. be seated. I know it's on the order of service that I will now be praying, but we are going to ask Mr. Greg Gibson, who's the student assistant at Martyrs while he completes his fourth year of ministerial training at the Whitfield College of the Bible. And he has, over the past while, been visiting with the family and has called in, read scripture and offered prayer with Vera in her time of illness. So I'm going to ask him now to pray. After that, Mr. Sam Mallon, one of Vera's grandsons, will come and read Scripture. Following that, Helen McGill will sing. Thank you.
1: Let's pray. Eternal God and our loving Father in heaven, as we even still ourselves now in Thy most holy presence, we do so in our Saviour's name. And we thank Thee, Lord, that we can come to Thee on this very occasion, that God of comfort, that God of care, Lord, casting cares upon our Lord and Saviour, knowing that He cares for us. We thank Thee that the Word of God says that the Lord will draw nigh unto His children, those who are of a broken heart those who have that contrite spirit and he will mend that broken heart. Lord, we do even thank thee today for the life of a dear sister Vera. We thank thee, Lord, for her testimony. Most of all, Lord, we thank thee for her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that was so very evident throughout her life. And we do pray at this very even sad time, Lord, for the family that you will be unto them all that they need. We do think especially uh, today of her dear husband Stanley, that you will be with him and you will even comfort him, even very, very near today to him. We think also of his daughters or her daughters. We think of Elaine and we think of Stephanie Lord and even their husbands also today. We think of Alistair and we think of Stephen. We think also today of Vera's sister, Evas and her husband Cecil and her brother Victor and the wider circle as well. The family are all connected or we pray for them they might know that underneath and round about are those everlasting arms. That you will draw very near even in this service to them. That you'll give them that grace Lord. And we thank that the word of God says that my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Lord we do pray for that even at this service and for the incoming days and weeks. That they might know and they might rest upon the Lord and Saviour of heaven. We do thank for this service today and we're thankful Lord that we can come today and then we can even open up the word of God and we can offer comfort to the family. And we pray for all aspects of this service that all will go down to the honour and to the glory of God. We think of the message that will come in a little while. We pray for the Reverend Brown as he would deliver that message you will give him help. Give him help from on high Lord. Even give him the words that he need, would need to say. Think of Helen as well Lord as she comes to sing. And even Sam as well as he reads the word of God that you'll give help and you'll give grace at this time. So, Lord, we pray you'll continue even to be with us this day. Bless us and undertake, we ask of thee, and we'll be careful to give thee all praise, honour and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we'd ask those things. Amen.
2: For our dear Graham, um,
0: the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy art with me, thy rod, thy staff, thy comfort me. Thy preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thy anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over.
2: Bear. What a prayer Take it to the Lord in prayer i
0: to thank Sam for reading scripture there, Sam 23. I didn't get a close look at him, but I think I was told that either he claims to be or might actually be the blue-eyed boy among the grandchildren. Who can tell? I let others uh, debate that point. I'd like to thank Helen for singing. And that was very much appreciated, and I know uh, that was uh, very much the family's request that that piece should be sung with that particular tune uh, being the one that would be sung to. We're going to pay tribute to Vera now, and I'm indebted for the information I have to Eliane and Stanley for supplying it. And where I've got materials wrong, mixed it up, then I apologize before uh, I deliver it. Veer was born on the 18th of April, 1937. To James William and Annie Best, they had been married the previous June. Her first home where she lived for 15 years or so was number four, Erwin Street in Portadown. School days were spent at West Street Primary, then on to Portadown Academy, before moving to the Technical College in Portadown, and there she studied shorthand and typing, bookkeeping and commerce. At the time when Vera completed college, jobs were far from plentiful, and in any case at that stage her mother needed her care. But then a job opportunity did open up when Mrs. Green appeared on the scene, stated that she was retiring from her post as cashier at the cinema, and promptly offered that job to Vera. This opened up a four-hour slot for Vera around which she could juggle those many responsibilities at home. And one particular and regular bonus that made that job at the cinema much less burdensome than it could have been was the way in which she claimed the boys came in and chatted her up. However, Stanley was determined that he would push his way to the front of that queue. They met on a trip to Butlins when Vera had traveled over with a group of friends, though at that time there was a significant obstacle in Stanley's path. That was Vera was going out with a Navy lad, and that friendship seemed to be heading towards engagement. But Stanley let his intentions be known, and their relationship developed from there. Vera took an interim job at Ulster Laces, and to me that sounded like an ideal job for a woman who adored lace. It involved her getting up, but rather unearthly hours, to catch the bus to get to work, and in the end she spent only a few months in that job. Maybe that was because Stanley was determined that she should wear some lace, and that he and she should tie another knot together. Very married, at 20 years of age, moved to Belfast, first for a few months at 41 Orby Road, then to the first house that they purchased at 15 Park Avenue, and it was here that they spent almost the next 30 years together, before eventually moving to their current home in Bangor. It was in this home, in bed one night, Park Avenue that Stanley and Vera discussed the day that changed everything for both of them. They had both come under gospel influence. Both had been stirred by the Holy Spirit of God to seek after Christ as their Savior. And on that one night, Stanley turned to Vera and said, I've something to tell you. Vera immediately retorted, And I've something to tell you. Because that day, both of them, independent of each other, had given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And give him their hearts, they did. As a couple, they spoke off and spoke for the Lord at least as much as any other couple I have ever met. From their home in Park Avenue, Vera and Stanley attended McGehan Memorial on the Newtonards Road, while there they were approached about considering teaching a class in Sunday school. It wasn't long, though, before Vera went to hear Reverend Ian Paisley preach in the old Ravenhill Church off Glentoran Street. Stanley paid his own visit some time later, listened to a message that day on the four compromises Pharaoh offered to Moses and he was pretty much hooked. When their attendance at the services on Ravenhill became known, an approach was made, as you would expect, by the leadership at McGehan informing them that they couldn't attend Paisley's and take a Sunday school class with them. And apparently three teachers were removed from their posts in that purge, including Stanley and Vera which meant that they fully threw in their lot with the Free Presbyterian Church, joined the church on Ravenhill Road, and as Stanley said to me the other day, we were happy as Larry in it. Vera became very close friends with Mrs. Charlotte Hamilton, wife of the martyr's legendary caretaker, Billy. And when Charlotte retired from being Mr. Paisley's secretary, Vera took over the job for some time. Now the job description in being Dr. Pasey's secretary, that job description would have been varied, uh, would have been highly interesting, and most likely one that was never committed to paper. It included anything from being involved in organizing protests, to becoming part of the production team of the Protestant Telegraph, a publication of the Puritan Printing Company that was overseen then by a youthful Joe Cosley. In 1965, Stanley and Vera purchased their first new car, a Green Morris 1100. On occasions, this served as Dr. Paisley's taxi, as Vera would have driven the big man home. Whenever I was told that I tried to Visualize that scene. And I'm thinking, given what I know of a Morris 1100, the size of Dr. Paisley, the style of Vera's hair, there would not have been much clearance room in that particular vehicle on the way home. Vera ventured into business in the markets first Bangor Market, then Portadown Market. And Portadine suited very well because she could then visit her mother. She started off selling from the back of the car men's shirts, jewelry, lace, of course, children's clothing, tablecloths, and did this until Stanley left his job in the docks to link up with Vera in the markets. Stanley's verdict on this one, we were a good team, her and I. Mind you, their primary interest was not so much in selling materials just to make a sheer profit. Their real business was working for Christ, and they used the market as an opportunity and a platform for that, witnessing to people that they met about him. Thousands of tracts were distributed over that period. Vera's favourite tract was a New Heart. She always carried quantities of those in her bag. She was no one to say to her surgeon, you can give me a new heart, but I'm going to tell you someone who can give you a new heart. His name is Jesus. Stanley and Vera hired a caravan each year, headed for locations where they knew they were going to find churches. Now, whether that was in the home country here, and they were down in Fermanagh, and they'd have gone along to Lisboa Law that no longer really exists as a free church because it became in a skill in time. Or further afield, if they were over in Canada, then they sought out a church in Toronto. They were very well traveled, ending up in Sydney, Australia, Hawaii, Fiji, Bermuda, Paris, America. We could go on. But it was always the thought in their minds, well, now they were here on the Lord's Day, where can we worship? And another thought, And question, how can we witness to those that we meet? One of their methods of getting the gospel out was to use what they called torpedo tracks, and they left them outside homes and buildings and shrines and various places. On Tuesday of last week, Vera took her final journey. They sang at that time, The King is Coming. He did, and he took her home. To where he dwells, according to his promise, that where I am, there ye may be also, that home being heaven. I've never experienced peace in a room like what I've experienced today, Elian said afterwards. And we close the tribute with one of the short verses of a hymn writer. It is enough. Earth's struggles soon shall cease. And Jesus' call to heaven's perfect peace. It is the subject of heaven that I'm wanting to speak on now in the message that we are bringing. And it's one verse in the Bible that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 9 which reads, But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. In terms of splendor and magnificent, nothing in our modern world could ever match the ancient city called Corinth. It stood on a narrow piece of land, it was washed by seas on either side, and the one sea was bringing in the commerce out of Europe, and the other would be in the commerce from Asia. And that city of Corinth had a magnificent burden of columns and statues and towers and temples, and it showcased there all of the beauties of classic architecture and sculpture, and anybody who went there, well, it basically took their breath clean away from them. And so when Paul takes up his pen and he writes the words of this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, he's not addressing. A squad of rough and common rustics. Men and women who had never seen anything grand in their lives. Because these men and these women had spent their lifetime surrounded by the sounds of the best music. They had seen the most beautiful pictures and the most elaborate sculptures and impressive architecture. And all of that Corinthian brass that had been molded and shaped into their chariot wheels and their towers and their gateways. And yet, even though he knew they had seen and known all of this, yet he says, but as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And in effect, Paul the Apostle is saying, you Corinthians that I'm writing to here, you think this is a splendid city. You imagine, you've heard all the sweet sounds, you've seen all the beautiful sights, but I tell you, all of this is nothing. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. I don't know if Vera ever went to Corinth, but her favorite place on earth, I do know, to be Hawaii. That was where they enjoyed their last family holiday together, and it was the bus runs and the tours and the flowers that really excited her fancy there, and when she was there, apparently she didn't endure any pain. They wove hibiscus flowers and orchids through her hair. They draped garlands around her. And she was in her element there. However, heaven far surpasses anything we've ever seen or known here upon this earth. And the first thing that I'm going to underline as a point of importance is, while we live here on this earth, We can get no true idea of the splendors of heaven. While we live on earth, we can get no true idea of the splendors of heaven. John the Apostle, in the final book in the Bible, Revelation, he tries to describe heaven's splendors. And he says, for example, the twelve gates are twelve pearls. The street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. He goes again, he says, the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. All of that's in Revelation chapter 21. And as we stand, Looking over John's shoulder and through the telescope that he has to his eye, we see a blaze of amethyst and pearl and emerald and sardonyx and sapphire, and there's a mountain of light and a cataract of color coming through. There's a sea of glass. We're looking at a city like the sun. And Vera, by the way, could have helped us immensely with this. As one of her chief interests was stones and also diamonds. She was an authority on where mines for precious stones and metals were located and dotted all around the globe. But Joan tells us here, look again. And we see thrones this time. Thrones of the prophets. Thrones of the patriarchs. Thrones of the angels. Thrones of the apostles. Thrones of the martyrs as well. Thrones. While the chief throne of all. The throne of Jesus. The throne of God. Adult and John commands us, you haven't seen at all, look again. And we see here the great procession Of the redeemed that are passing Christ Jesus on a white horse Leading the march All the armies of salvation Following on behind That cavalcade is passing Ages following age We have Europe and Asia and Africa And Australia and North and South America And they're all pressing into line We have generations before the flood Following generations after the flood And as Jesus rises and stands at the head of that great host and weaves his sword to signal final victory all crowns are lifted all flags are unfurled all chimes ring out all hallelujahs are chanted and everybody cries worthy is the lamb that was slain Every house is a palace there, every step a triumph, every meal is a banquet, every stroke from the tower is the noise of a wedding bell, every day is a jubilee, every moment is an ecstasy. I tell you, Paul had it right when he said, I hath not seen, nor ear heard. Down here below we can't get really a full picture at all of the splendors of heaven. Nor can we get a full idea while we're here of the society of heaven, the society of heaven. The Daily Mail some time ago told the story of two pairs of childhood sweethearts, and they staged this so that they brought them together again for a meal, and they were there to reminisce over those past events that had occurred after they'd lived separate and different lives for 20 and 26 years respectively, while none. Of the four persons regretted the lives they'd lived. Or even the partners that they had eventually married. They had had those affectionate encounters one with the other in their teens. But they were glad to meet up again. And muse over the time that had passed. And see how life had treated them. The way that they had traveled. What will our joy be like? When we have passed the seas of death. To meet in the bright city of heaven. Those whom we have been parted from for so long. Oh, what a meeting, the hymn writer said, there in the skies. No tears, nor crying, shall dim our eyes. Loved ones, united, eternally. Oh, what a daybreak that morn shall be. After you and I have been separated from our friends for maybe 10 or 15 years, we haven't seen them. Maybe we only meet up with them on a day like this, say, funeral or a wedding or something of that nature, and we come across them again, and we notice the changes. And sometimes we comment because the hair has changed and the wrinkles have invaded the faces, and we say, "Ah, you've changed." But when we all stand before God's throne, if we are in Christ, we shall, all anxieties wiped away from all faces, all marks of sorrow erased, all lost teeth and hair replaced, and a feeling of joy in that blessed land, I think we'll say to each other with a kind of exultation that we can't right now imagine how you've changed, and it's all for the better. In this land, we meet only to part. It's goodbye. Goodbye. We hear it at the harbor. We get it at the airport. Goodbye. Sometimes we say it in a light way. Goodbye. And sometimes our our soul is wed down with anguish and our heart is breaking because we have a particularly painful goodbye to say on that occasion. Stanley and Vera were never apart. Right up until the end. But then the end and the separation did come. On Tuesday past, that moment when Elaine and other members of the family said, I'm going to let you go now, Mum. And though the Lord's presence filled that room, the King came, it was for those left behind an exceptionally painful goodbye. But not so in heaven Welcomes in the air Welcomes at the gates Welcomes at the house of many mansions And no goodbyes ever again One by one our seats were emptied One by one we go away And very soon all of us who were saved by Christ We will all be over I wonder how many of your loved ones Are already in that blessed place It is Graves here, and coffins here, and hearses here. The little child's mother died, and they comforted her, and they told her, Your mother has gone to heaven. Don't cry. The next day, they went to the graveyard. They led the body of that mother down in the ground. The little girl came up to the edge of the grave and looked down at the casket of her mother down there in the ground. And she said, confused, Is this heaven? I imagine when a soul arrives in heaven, some angel takes it around to show it the wonders of that blessed place. That usher angel will say to the newly arrived, these are the martyrs who perished at those stakes in England and Scotland and all over Europe. Here are the ones who were torn to pieces for their faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Here is the throne of the great Jehovah. This is Jesus, to stand in His presence. That will be heaven. To put our hand into the hand that was wounded for us on the cross of Calvary, to mingle with all the groups of the redeemed, to shake hands with the prophets and the apostles and the martyrs of our God, and to join up again with our own dear loved ones, that will be a grand reunion. We can't fully imagine it now, Our loved ones, you see, seem so far away. When we're in trouble and lonely and we want to talk to them again and get their wisdom to help us once more, they don't come to us. Unbelief whispers they're dead, they'll never live again. But we have a Bible that tells us differently. We open it. We find they are certainly not annihilated, that they never were so much alive as they are now, that they're only waiting for our coming, and that we shall join them. If like them we're saved, ransomed, redeemed, restored, forgiven, we'll join them on the other side of the river. Fabulous reunion. We cannot grasp it now, which is why Paul says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And so I say again, in this world, we can get no real full idea of the splendor of heaven, of the society of heaven, and finally of the song of heaven. The song of heaven. In the Battle of Waterloo, the Scots Highlanders were giving way. Wellington discovered that the bands of music, had stopped playing, and he knew the impact that could have. And so he sent out a quick dispatch, telling the band to play with utmost fervor another battle march. The music started, the Highlanders rallied, boldly they charged on until they secured victory. I think we all appreciate the power of martial music. And to me there's nothing more inspiring than a whole congregation lifted up in a wave of some old sacred song. When we sing those dear old tunes, no doubt they remind us of memories of the past, because those hymns were sung by our mothers and our fathers and our grandfathers and grandmothers, those who may well be gone by now. When I hear the old hymn sung, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. It seems as if all of those old country meeting houses have joined together in the chorus until the whole congregation lifts the doxology. When generals come back from victorious wars, we line the streets, we cheer them enthusiastically. But when Jesus Christ Passes along in the conquest of this earth. Shall we not have for him one loud ringing cheer? All heal the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. But if music on earth is so sweet and can be, what will it be like in heaven? David on his harp will be there. Gabriel on his trumpet will be sounding out. Germany redeemed will pour its deep guttural bass voice into this song of salvation. Africa will add to the music with their inimitable voices. I wish we could anticipate that song, that in her hymns we could catch an echo that is slipping out from the gates of glory. I think one of Vera's pieces that she often would have listened to Was this how beautiful, how beautiful heaven must be? God grant that through the rich mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of us may get there. There is only one way. It's not your way, it's not my way, it's nothing to do with our own efforts. It's not based upon or dependent on our own supposed goodness for we are full of sin and we can do nothing to earn the favor of God. It is by the way that is pointed out in this book. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If I want to go to heaven, there's only one way to get there. Jesus is the only Savior. Now and forever. Through him alone, God is revealed. And through him alone, heaven is reached. Someday my earthly house will fall. I cannot tell how soon it will be. But this I know, my all in all has now a place in heaven for me. Some day, when fades the golden sun beneath the rosy-tinted west, my blessed Lord shall say, "Well done," and I shall enter into rest, and I shall see Him face to face, and tell the story saved by grace, and I shall see Him face to face, and tell the story saved by grace. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We'll turn to the order of service again to the second and closing hymn. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye, All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be, and how true that is. Let's stand again, please, as we sing. Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee today that we can, as we have done in this service, contemplate the glories and the beauties and the splendors of heaven. Vera is already an inhabitant there in that glorious place, just waiting for our coming, just as she did in life, looking for other souls to be gathered in. Waiting for them over there. We thank thee for her life and testimony. We thank thee for her love of Jesus Christ. We thank thee for her devotion to her family. We praise thee for her constant concern for them. Joy when they were doing well. Pride in their achievements. Reflecting always on how they were Going through life, but always wishing for family and for friends the greatest blessing that a man or woman can ever know, that is God's salvation within the heart. Lord, we pray that our prayers will still be answered, be answered continually. We pray that I will come, and our cry and our petition to thee today is that thou wilt. Put the arms of thy love and care round about Stanley, and Stephanie, and Leon, and right through all of the family circle that were so devoted to Vera and she to them. We ask that thou will comfort their hearts, that I will encourage them, that the Bible that we have thought about today and its message will be a great source of stability and one of salvation. And may in all things, as Vera would have desired, may the Lord be glorified. We pray in Thy name and to Thy praise for Jesus' sake. Amen.